The epistle lesson this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the spirit chooses. In order to honor the gospel, let us please rise. The gospel reading for this morning comes to us from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish, Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past week, uh, it was a great joy to invite clergy colleagues from the area to have lunch together. We meet once a month in various houses of faith. This month was our turn. And so we provided a lunch and we had some time of conversation in the Asbury Room with leadership in various
communities of faith around the Chathams and uh, the Chatham area. It was uh, wonderful to, to gather, you know, Jesus, one of his prayers was that we be one. And that's hard to imagine sometimes when uh, there are at least 30,000 Protestant denominations. 30,000. When we brought the youth and seminarians to uh, Geneva and Tizé this past summer, we went to the World Council of Churches, where they have 345 member churches. Of those 345 member churches, that equates to about a half a billion Christians. That does not include the Roman Catholic Church, which is uh, an enormous expression of Christian faith. So there are so many expressions of Christian faith. And Jesus prayed that we be one. I don't know what that will look like, but it is something that is a, a goal to express our oneness, at least live into our oneness, to be one in Christ to be one with each other, to be one in ministry to all the world. But around the table over lunch this past Tuesday, we talked about, well, why is that? That we have, let's just take Protestants. Let's, why do we have 30,000 Protestant faith traditions? What that told us that in the last 500 years, we have had trouble playing well together. <laughs> We have taken our marbles and gone elsewhere. We've got into disagreements and we have dug in our heels and insisted on being right as opposed to being loving. And in our fierce desire to be right, we have split. We've argued, we've drawn a line in the sand, and we have split and split, and split, and split. We were talking among the religious leaders that that points to or indicates that we as Christians, at least in the West, and perhaps globally, but certainly in the West, in the last 500 years, have had a difficult time holding things in tension. We've had a difficult time thinking about theology and being the church, being the body of Christ, we've had trouble thinking in non-dualistic ways. We've been very dualistic. It's in or out. You're right or wrong. You're with us or against us. And that's not helpful to follow Jesus, who invites us to hold things in tension, even to hold one another in tension when we don't get along. Do you think that the disciples always got along? They were always arguing over who's right, who's more popular with Jesus, who's got more power. Jesus chose Matthew, the tax collector, who bolstered the Roman Empire most of his life, and Simon the Zealot, whose ministry and witness it was to take down the empire. Jesus called those two individuals to say, come and follow me. So this inability to hold things in tension is something that we really need to look at in the West and certainly as Christians. And some of you saw the news this week. Depending on which news source you looked at, it was either um, 
Mainline media, which was covering the Anglican Communion and the Episcopal Church. Did any of you see this? Okay. If you read some Episcopal blogs, you would get a different take on the way the major media understood and broadcast this. The Anglican Communion um, has primates, bishops of certain regions, and they got together and they had a vote about whether the Episcopal Church was faithful or not as it stands on gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual issues. They said they're not in, 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 um, in the fold, so to speak, and they took some kind of vote that's a sanction. Now, the way CNN or the major media broadcast this, they said that the Episcopal Church was sent out of the Anglican Communion, or um, I don't know how they phrased it, but it, it's a vote of a small committee not the whole Anglican communion. And the Episcopalians that I've been reading have been saying, we're still called to care for the poor and to follow Jesus as compassionate disciples. They're taking the high road, and I I have great respect for them. But that points to a, a fissure, a division, that our United Methodist Church is going to deal with in May of this year, and all the headlines will be about our general conference and how we disagree with one another on sexuality issues. And it's really sad because... For 10 days, we're going to be talking about a whole lot of things, but all the media will pick up is our disagreements, viable disagreements on sexuality and faithfulness. I would like us to figure out how do we hold things in tension and keep following Jesus in a variety of ways. The the scripture that I'm going to preach on today is is from the epistle lesson that Sally read, the the letter to, to the early church in Rome. In the next few weeks, three weeks in particular, I'm going to be lifting up that lectionary text, that letter from the Apostle Paul, who was an early leader in the Christian church, who not only brought Christianity to various regions, he was the first missionary into what is now Europe. Some would say he's the first non-dualistic thinker in the West, because at least the mature Paul, not the young Paul, the mature Paul was able to hold things in tension and encouraged the early Christians to do the same. Apparently the church in Rome was, or in, in, in Corinth, was arguing over who was more faithful, who had better skills, a better skill set, who had deeper spiritual power, and Paul was saying to them, oh, don't argue about that stuff. In fact, he says, If anybody says Jesus is Lord, they can't say that apart from the Spirit. In other words, Jesus is Lord. To say that during the time of empire was seditious. It was treasonous. It took immense courage to say Jesus is Lord because what Christians were saying is Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Well, that got many Christians killed. Paul was saying anybody who can even profess faith in Christ can't do that on their own. That's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, Christians, stop arguing with each other over who's more powerful, who's more faithful. If any of you are professing Jesus, you've been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in one another. And then he goes on to say all ministries... A variety of ministries come from the Holy Spirit. A variety of service comes from the Holy Spirit. A variety of expressions of the Christian faith, it all comes from the Holy Spirit. 
And so stop arguing over whose gifts are better or worse. They're all of God and God needs a variety. God seems to like variety. God does not call us to uniformity. God calls us to unity that's different. Do you hear the nuance? God does not call us to uniformity, to all be the same. God calls us to unity, to be one in Christ, to be one with each other, to be one in ministry to all the world. And then Paul goes on to talk about some of the, the gifts, all that come from God. In this particular version, this is the message, he, he calls the variety, he says, the variety is wonderful. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. Wise counsel, clear understanding, simple trust, healing the sick, miraculous acts, proclamation, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one by the one Spirit of God. God decides who gets what and when. Beloved sons and daughters of God, at our baptism, we not only got the identity that can change everything, beloved sons, beloved daughters, but we were endowed with certain spiritual gifts. One of the prayers that we pray over a baby or an adult, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. When we pray that, we have no idea how God will answer that prayer. We have no idea what spiritual gifts a child might get. And I would contend that we live those gifts, we bear those fruits with those gifts our whole lives, whether we know the gift or not, whether we can identify the gift or not. Now, there are small groups in this church over the years that have studied the spiritual gifts and looked at perhaps a spiritual gifts inventory. There's some online. And they know what their gifts are. But even if you don't, God has been flowing through each of us with our gifts. Whenever we say yes to God, it opens up a channel for these gifts to start bearing fruit. I want to read something to you from Steve Garnis Holmes, a United Methodist pastor. I close with this. He's in New England Conference. But he has a way of articulating the spiritual gifts that are accessible. So listen with the ears of your hearts because you might identify something in you that God can use for the common good. The, the Apostle Paul says all of these gifts are given to us not for our own benefit, not for the glory of the church, but for the common good of all people. And as we celebrate Dr. King's life and ministry and vision, and dream tomorrow. There are opportunities for us to use our gifts for the common good, what Dr. King called the beloved community. So listen to this and think of ways that the Holy Spirit might be prompting you 
as individuals, us as a church or a denomination, to build up the kingdom of God. Listen. To one, God has given the gift of good humor. To another, the gift of resilience. To another, courage. To another, the appreciation of beauty. To another, truth-telling. To another, soft-heartedness. To another, the ache for justice. To another, quiet presence. To another, exuberance. What gifts live in you? What passions and callings, what energies consistently rise up in you? Leave people blessed in your wake. Lean toward the healing of the world around you. They may seem small, odd, or ordinary, but they are the bricks with which God builds the realm of joy and justice. God gives to each of us gifts of God's choosing. What gifts does the spirit of love activate in you? Name them. Give thanks. And, to dev and devote them this day to the great work of mending the world. God has given each of us gifts by grace. And we're invited to use those gifts and say yes to God so that we, with the Holy Spirit, might do no less than mend the world. May it be so for you and for me and for the Church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Amen.